All right, Luke chapter 1. And uh, before we read here, let's pray. And then we want to uh, just basically hit on a few verses to kind of bring out a theme out of Luke chapter 1 and then uh, Luke 2 and then Matthew 1 and 2 as well. We will not read everything. We'll just read verses here and there. I just want to bring out one truth that is seen in the nativity story. And Lord willing, we will look at another truth in a similar way this, this evening. So hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Let's pray together and then we'll begin in Luke chapter uh, 1. Our Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you especially for the Lord Jesus Christ and His uh, incarnation, the fact that you came to earth, the fact that you uh, left uh, your place, your glory, and your, your praise in heaven to dwell among men in order that you might save men, in order that you might redeem us, that you might be our Savior and be our salvation. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts. Help us, Lord, to set all other things in our, in our mind aside that we might singularly focus on what your word says this morning. We might be blessed from it. Lord, if there be some among us that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that perhaps only have a form of religion, but do not have the Savior, Lord, would you please prick the heart of those, that person or those people? I pray that the, uh, the gospel would be evident among us. Thank you, Lord, for the kids in our church. Thank you for their parents and the willingness they have to, uh, to, to enable their kids to develop skills that can be used to glorify your name. And I do pray for each one of the kids that stood on the stage and played the piano. Lord, that their lives would truly honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would fulfill the purpose for which they have been created. Bless them, Lord, and, and their parents. Please protect them. Give them, I pray, tender hearts before you. Bless our time, we pray, as we look in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. The truth I want to look at very quickly this morning is this truth, that even as the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, the Bible obviously says in our gospel tracts that we hand out here, uh, the Bible says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that mission to save sinners was a mission that began, you could even argue, that began from the very, even before he was conceived in the womb. And so what you have is, as you look through the nativity story, going back as we'll start here in verse number 67, which is at, at verse number 67 of Luke chapter 1, Mary is now expecting, and, uh, and of course Elizabeth has given birth to John the Baptist, and Mary's already expecting and so it will not be long before Jesus is born. But from this very moment, even as we'll see later in Matthew, before Jesus was even conceived, there was a shadow that, that, uh, that hovered over His incarnation. There was a, if I could say it, there was kind of a darkness that hovered over His incarnation that kind of pops up at various places in the events that none of these individuals that we read about in Matthew and in Luke, the first beginning chapters of the Incarnation, none of them were really aware, I don't think, of, of what was happening, of, of these things that were being 
displayed later for us to see. But yet they're there and, re- and they're recorded in the Scripture for us. And that shadow that, that kind of hung over the birth of Christ was the cross. The shadow was the cross. Even from the very earliest moments when, of Christ's incarnation and even before He was, he was conceived, the cross, His cross was already uh, kind of the backdrop to His incarnation. You see, when Jesus came into the world... We know uh, 1 Timothy 1.15 that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But you know what? That's one part of His coming. In other words, if you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, the, His coming and the purpose of His coming is divided into two, two different things. And yet you actually see them both in the story of the, uh, the nativity of Christ. You have first one, the, the, which is the cross, and then you have the other one, which is His reign. You see, Jesus came not only to save sinners, but eventually, and especially as we understand His second coming, He will reign. He will reign. I just wonder, have you, have you, uh, have you bowed yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? He, you know, He is called the Lord Jesus Christ because He is Lord now. Now, He hasn't taken that authority quite yet. He hasn't exerted His power, but He has all power in heaven and in earth. And you and I would do well to bow to that authority, to bow to Him and to humble yourself before Him and acknowledge Him as not only as your Savior, but also as your Lord. Because for sure, there is no one, there is no one that will meet the Lord in heaven There is no one that will meet the Lord in heaven until they have bowed to Him. I want to look at this cross that we see in Luke chapter 1, verse number 69, as well as in verse number 77. The Bible says, And his father, speaking of John the Baptist's father, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied. Verse number 68 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Verse number 77 says, To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. You see, Zacharias, if you read these verses between, we will not read them all, but Zacharias he envisioned salvation in both of those aspects. He envisioned the, the, what we might call the national salvation of Israel, how that the Lord Jesus would come, the one who was promised would come to deliver Israel from all of their enemies. But he also, in the same prophecy, envisioned a Savior who would come to deliver man, Israel in particular, because he was a priest of Israel, to deliver Israel from sin, you see. So the salvation of of God was both. To Israel, it was both the salvation uh, from their enemies and the establishment of a kingdom, and that yet to be be done. But it was also the Lord's first coming, Isaiah 53, to bear the sins, to make the way so that we all could have remission of sins. You know, you got to get this salvation thing right. We talk about save, save, save. You know, Baptists are well known for this word, save, saved, saved. Salvation, and we talk about it a lot, and we harp on it, and we beat it all the time, right? We talk about it, but here's the thing. You're either saved 
or you're in peril. Right? right? You're, you're, either, you're either saved or you are without salvation. Saved. What does saved mean? It means to be rescued, right? We'll see that in just a minute. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And Mary, and, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for, for, no room for them in the inn. And verse 8, immediately after that says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field. Here you have Jesus. Remember, we're, I'm showing you the cross as it's seen in the nativity. Jesus, our Lord, as a lamb was born among sheep. He was born in a place in which a lamb would naturally be born. And that was just, as we see it, as mankind would see it, just by chance. The only reason they were in this place where they weren't in the inn where people would be staying, they were in the place where animals would be, bo- where animals would be cared for, or where animals would be born. They were only there because there was no room. But it just so happened that because they were there, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, was born among lambs, was born in a place where you would expect lambs to be born. John said uh, of Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But not only that, in Revelation 5, the Bible says this, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne. Now this is in heaven now. This is after, this is after all, uh, after the, the rapture of the church. This is future to us. The Bible says, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And they, that is the elders, sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book. That's what we, we studied last week, right? Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. There, there is the Lamb of God slain, and here Jesus, born as a lamb. He was born as the Lamb of God. Also in verse 7, it says, She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. Why did Jesus go to the cross? As far as from a human perspective, we know, as we can see the shadow of the cross overshadowing even the nativity, we know that that was God's plan. From Even the Bible says from the foundation of the world. But from a human perspective, why did Jesus go to the cross? He went to the cross because His own nation rejected Him. There was no room for Him in their world. There was no room for him in their religion. There was no room for him in their society. Psalm 118 verse 22 says this, The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Now listen to this. This is the next verse, verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. You see, The Lord was not just rejected by the Jews. Of course, we know that. He was also rejected by us. You say, well, I've not ever rejected the Lord. Oh, yes, you have. All of us, I believe, at some point or another, have refused the Lord, have told the Lord, I don't have any room for you. 
But why do we reject, reject the Lord so? You know the reason. John, John chapter 1 tells us why the world rejected Christ, why the Jews rejected Christ, and ultimately, listen, even in 2023, why we reject Christ. We reject Christ primarily for this reason. Because to us, He is light, and we are darkness. And we are loath to have light shined upon the wickedness of our lives. That's the reality of why we reject Christ. I remember, I remember as I was coming up, there were times when I refused the truth when I was confronted with it here and there, and God was patient with me. And I'm sure that's true of you. Even if you were saved as a young child, most of us, I would dare say probably all of us, have been confronted with the truth and did not receive it. So just like there was no room for Christ, so he was rejected uh, later on in his life. And that would ultimately lead, ultimate rejection was the cross. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 7 again. The Bible says she brought forth her firstborn son. You think about a baby being born. Sharon just had a baby, right? It won't be long and Sister Angela will be having a baby. That's a messy process, right? But you know what it also is? It's a very human process, right? They took that baby and they would, in fact, in Israel, they would take the baby and they'd rub salt on the baby. And they would wrap the baby in swaddling clothes. And they, you, we think of a, a blanket wrapping it, with swat, we call it swaddling a baby, right? To make it all tight so the baby's nice and warm and comfortable. But these are strips of cloth they would wrap around the baby, kind of like a mummy. But it had the same effect. You know, when I saw this, and it says they laid him in a manger. Here's a newborn baby. There's nothing more human than that, right? You see, Christ was born as a baby like we were born. He was wrapped up just as our mothers wrapped us up. You know, and as a result of his being born, he was then subject to all the all the all uh, this world had to, to, to give to him, just like it does to us. He was subject to temptation. He was tested in all points, yet without sin. He was a human being. For He could not be a Savior to us. He could not be a substitute for us unless He was one of us. And you know what? That's exactly what He was. And the fact that that baby was laying in the manger, wrapped up in swaddling clothes, just like any other baby. You know, you see these, these pictures from the, the Middle Ages, right? Where they had the, 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 the icons of Jesus and, and He's laying in the... Mary, maybe Mary's holding Jesus or whatever. And you have this glow and he's, His head's shining. All that. That's all bunk. Every bit of it. He was a human being. It wasn't a glow about him. He was a man. He came, he came to be a man so that he could die for men. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Look what that says. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. You know what that word good tidings is? You know what, another way we could say that? Gospel. That's what the word the gospel means, good tidings. Which shall be to all People, all people. You know, the good news, you know, this, this, this is kind of shining a light forward when Christ, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.9, that by the grace of God, Christ would taste death for every man. You know, if, if, Jesus, if Jesus had not died for every Person, if Jesus had not died, as, as the Bible says here, all people, if he had not died for all people, why, is it, why would it be good news to them? 
But see, this speaks forward to his cross. It's good news to them because Christ died for them, for all people. Of course, we know it's the basis of our mission work as well. Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The word Savior. What does a Savior do? What does a Savior do? A Savior saves. A Savior delivers. A Savior rescues. A Savior does not just assist. When someone falls overboard, they're looking for a Savior. They're not looking for an instructor. They're not looking for a teacher. They're not looking for an example to follow, right? When someone falls overboard on a ship, they're looking for somebody to pluck them out of the water. That's what a Savior is. See, people have a fundamental misunderstanding of the word Savior as if Jesus just helps us. He doesn't just help us. He completely delivers us. His salvation is 100% His power, His grace, His work. The Bible says, does it not say in, in Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. It's not something we help him do. We just rely on his ability to save us. He is the Savior. First Timothy 4.10 says this, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So Jesus, if you're, if you're in here to, today and you are not saved, you are not a child of God. Jesus is your Savior too. You're overboard right now. You're in peril right now. You're going to go down. You're going, to, you're going to be judged. But there is a Savior. You must receive Him. A Savior has already been provided. Titus 3, verse 4 through 6. Listen to this. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. Notice what it says. According to His mercy, He saved us. You know, that's, that's a definitive and absolute term. He did not help. He did not assist. He did it Amen. by Himself. And He did it. It's not over. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. Notice what it says, our Savior. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is God's disposition toward us. You know, the peace, I'm convinced that this world if it, if it had its choice of world peace, full bellies, full bank accounts, no war, no fighting, no international disagreements, if it had a choice between that kind of peace, which is what all we hear about, right, in the news and all, world peace and peace in the Middle East and all these things, if they had their choice between that kind of peace and peace with God, they would take the former 10 out of 10 times because people are not concerned with having peace with God. They want a life that is easy, a life that is, that, that is full of all the good things that they want, and they're generally not concerned with peace with God. But listen, when, when our eyes close in death, whatever condition we have with God right now is what we're going to meet with then. If we don't have peace with God now, we are going to meet God without peace. 
Jesus came to give us peace with God. The Bible says He is our peace. He is our peace. Colossians 1.20 And having made peace, how did Jesus bring us into peace with God? There's only one answer to that question. It's not because He's a nice guy. It's not because He healed people. It's not because He did good things. Jesus brought you and brought me into peace with God. And if there's ever any way that we will be brought into fellowship with God and peace with God, it will be through the blood of His cross. In this word, peace is the blood blood of Christ. Because peace with God cannot be had as long as sin, sin remains between a sinner and a holy God. As long as, a, as, long our, as long as transgressions float between us, there can be no peace. And those transgressions, as John said, can only be taken away, how? By the Lamb of God. Chapter 2, verse 22, look at that. The Bible says this. And when the days of, of her, Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem and to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord to offer and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You see two things in this chapter, in, in, these, two, in these several verses. Number one, you see a sacrifice. You see the Jews, for the firstborn child, the Jews were required to bring a sacrifice as a substitute for that child. You see that? They brought, the, because God said, Because of the Passover, God said, every firstborn child is mine. If you want that child, you have to give a substitute. And God allowed a sacrifice as a substitute, right? So in in this substitution, you see Christ as our substitute. The one who, we, the ones who should die, are given a substitute. But you also see in this that a sacrifice was required. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament point to the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice in verse number 24, it says at the end, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You see, there were two sacrifices that were allowed in this case. In Leviticus, the Bible says this, and if she be not able to bring a lamb... Then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, that's turtle doves, and the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her and she shall be clean. This is talking about after a lady has born a child. Why did Mary bring the turtle doves instead of a lamb? Do you know? Because she she was not able to bring a lamb. So she brought the less expensive sacrifice. You know what I thought about that when I, when I read that? This is Jesus' mother and his stepfather, right? This is the family into which he was born. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Then you can drop down to verse 30. Simeon meets the parents of Christ and he says, 
he takes the Lord up as a baby in his arms and he says, verse 29, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Mine eyes have seen thy, 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 thy salvation. Notice that. Jesus doesn't just give salvation. He is salvation. See, salvation from your sin, eternal life, is found in Jesus himself. That's why the Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Verse 35, we're reminded of this. Simeon reminds Mary that a sword would pierce through her own soul. Yea, verse 35, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. How would a sword pierce through Mary's soul? It's simple. It's simple. She would be at the cross, right? Watching her son die for the sins of the world. And the last thing I want you to see is verse number 21 of Luke 2. Verse 21 of Luke 2. The Bible says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You know what the name Jesus means? It's the same name as Joshua in the Bible. It's a very common name in Israel. And it, it means Jehovah saves. That's what it means. Jehovah saves. So Jesus came to be the Savior, right? He's, this, he's called the Savior. Jesus came to be salvation. And he was given a name which means he is the Savior. I just have a question. We could look at other things. Jesus is not the Savior by virtue of, uh, again, by virtue of just His goodness. Jesus is a Savior because He bled and died on a cross for sinners. Some of you probably have heard that most of your life. But it just has no effect. It doesn't penetrate your heart and you don't care. But I just want to let you know, if there's any hope for your soul, that you will be saved from your sin, that you will be forgiven. It will be because you turn to, to Jesus and that you trust in Him. So the cross hangs over the nativity because that was His mission. His mission was to save you and to save me. Let's pray.